this is sort of what's happening to Israel. They had a time when they were close to God. They had a time when it was easy to be intimate with God. They had the temple. They had the priests. They had sacrifices. They had reading of the word. It was easy. Everybody was on board. And then now all of a sudden it's not. Now all of a sudden there's, no, there's a lack of intimacy. But at the same time, there's a, there's a desire. There's a longing in their hearts for closeness with God. So they begin to blame each other. And in Malachi, you can read, they begin to blame each other. They start blaming the priests. Ah, it's the priests' fault. They're not doing the sacrifices properly. They're not, you know, uh, being holy enough in their lifestyle. And this is what's causing distance from God. Other people are blaming the people, right? You should have been uh, maintaining this in a daily practice in your own life. Now you're not. Now what's going to happen to you? You know, you're, you're running away from God, and, and there's no, it's obvious why there's so much a lack of intimacy there. Um, some people are upset with uh, the priests, the whole system. Some people are upset with the people. And Malachi kind of comes into this situation, and God has a word for Malachi. And I want to explore this passage, passage together because I think God has a word for us here as well. Because there's all, like I said, there's cycles in our life when we are closer and farther away from God. So I'm going to read Malachi 3, 1 through 6. I'm going to walk through it. So I'm going to take verse 1 here. It says this, See, God is saying, See, I am sending my messenger to prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek, the Lord whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, indeed he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Now this passage is, is really indicative it mirrors another passage from Isaiah. And I want to read that as well. This is Isaiah 43 through 5. It says, A voice cries out, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all the people shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The messenger of the Lord, in both situations, the messenger of the Lord prepares the way for the presence of the Lord. See, something has to be prepared in the people before the presence of the Lord can come. No farmer would go out into his field with a bag of seed and scatter seed about and expect that that spring he was going to reap a harvest, right? No, a farmer has to prepare the soil. They break up the ground, right? They put down fertilizer. They put down some kind of manure or some kind of nutrition back into the soil. They break it up. They mix it together. And then when they plant the seeds, they plant them very methodically, right? They space them out. A certain amount of seeds in a certain area. They do this because they're working in preparation. They're preparing for what's going to happen. And it's the same with us. Oftentimes, the people who desire the presence of God the strongest, Think about this. The people who desire God's presence the strongest, when he comes, they reject him because they haven't prepared their hearts. If you think about the Jews and Jesus, right? Here's a people that have been expecting God, waiting in expectation for the Messiah to come for centuries. But when he actually shows up, they reject him because they hadn't prepared themselves to receive him. They weren't, hadn't prepared to receive the kind of Messiah that would come. They came with an expectation that God would show up in one particular way, and he didn't. And they weren't able to accept Jesus. They rejected him. They even rejected him to the cross. People like the idea of God, but the reality of God is difficult to accept. The reality of God challenges us. 
The reality of God confronts us, confronts our sin, discloses our secret motivations. The reality of God gets inside our head. God starts poking at old wounds and saying, Have you, has this healed over yet? Have you dealt with this yet? Have you made peace with this person yet? And we don't like that. It's uncomfortable. But folks, if we want the presence of God, we should expect that the reality of God will be challenging. So let's read on. We're going to read on verses 2 through 3 now. Who can endure the day of his coming? God says. Who can stand when he appears? He is like a refiner's fire, like fuller's soap. That means like launderer's soap. Right? He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he will purify the descendants of Levi and refine them like gold and silver until they present offerings to the Lord in righteousness. I'm sure that you might already be familiar with this, with this idea of refinement. But when, we're, when you refine gold, when you refine, refine silver, basically what you're trying to do is get the impurities out of it. You want to be left with pure gold, pure silver. So what do you do? You melt it. Right? You melt it down. And then as, uh, as the metal begins to melt and liquefy, it begins to separate. The pure silver, the pure gold begins to separate from all the gunk that might be in there. You might get some, have some iron in there. Or you might have some other kind of metal, or that kind of thing. So it separates because it's been heated. And then you can remove uh, the impurities so that you're left with just the pure gold or pure silver. But the point is that the silver or gold has to be melted. It has to be heated up and melted. And if I were a bar of gold, I would find that very uncomfortable. Yes. And when God comes into our lives and begins to refine us, begins to purify us, it feels very uncomfortable. Am I right? Has anybody else felt the uncomfortable refining work of God in their lives? Okay, good. So there's seven of you. There's one of me. That's eight altogether. He comes as a purifier, as a refiner. God is looking to prepare our hearts to receive him. He's looking to get rid of the impurities within us, the selfish ambition of our own hearts, because he's interested in making his home inside of us. And I was, as I was reading this today, or reading this this week and, and studying it, this is the point that really hit me, is that the will of God, what God wants, you want to ask me, what, what does God want? What does God want with, with us? The will of God is nearness with you. The will of God is that he would be close to you. That's what he wants. He wants to be close to you. He wants to be close to creation. He wants to be close to humanity. He wants to be close with you as an individual. That's God's will. That's what he's interested in, right? Romans 8, 38. This is a famous passage where Paul says, I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, rulers, nor things present, nor things uh, to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's interested in desirous of closeness with you, right? A nearness with you. When God comes into your life, he brings conviction. He brings refinement. He begins to weed out the impurities, not because he's interested in making you feel bad or because he's giving you a heavy burden or because he wants to punish you. He brings conviction because those things in our lives push the presence of God out. And he wants in. Those things in our lives that we hold, hold desperately on to, our own sense of uh, uh, pride, our own insecurity, what have you, those things, they push God's presence out of our heart. They push God out of our life. 
And God is so desirous to be near to you that when he comes to you, he comes with conviction. He comes to purify. He comes to refine because he's interested in preparing the soil of your heart to receive him. He's not loading you with burdens. He's not interested. He doesn't demand justice because uh, he wants you to be upset. He wants you to lose something. He demands it because he knows oppression, injustice, sin occupies the place in your heart that he wants to have. God is adamant about righteousness. Speak righteousness, church, because in righteousness you prepare your heart to receive the Lord. That's why uh, when John the Baptist comes, and uh, this verse and the verse from Isaiah, they both, in our Bibles, they point to John the Baptist. John the Baptist is a man uh, who came before Jesus, right? The messenger, the one who comes before Jesus. This, his message, John's message was, repent. Repent. Be baptized and repent. Turn from your sin, because he was trying to prepare the people's heart to receive the Messiah. Repentance needs to come first before we can receive the Messiah. And the purpose of Jesus, the purpose of the cross, is to purify us from sin. It's to cleanse us from unrighteousness so that we are free to receive the presence of God so that he can be with us. Let's move on. This is verse 4. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and in former years. He comes as a refiner. He comes as a purifier. He comes and purifies the Levites. He purifies them. And then it says, then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in former years. It's only after God has purified the people that the offerings become pleasing to God. And listen, this is, this is so key. God... Uh, how to say this? God does not need your offerings. He does not need your offerings. What I mean by that is, I used to think I have to be the smartest, I have to be the most successful, I have to be the most effective minister because God needs me to do that. And if I don't do that, I'm letting God down, right? God's counting on me, and if I don't deliver, what's going to happen to God? You know, he's he's going to be out of he's going to be in trouble. You know, he needs me. God isn't in heaven saying, man, I really hope that that guy tithes this week because the landlord's breathing down my neck and like, I don't know how we're going to make it this month. You know, I really, really hope that that person gets this message and goes out and talks to their neighbor because I have no way of talking to that person unless that guy goes and does it. I need that guy so badly. To do it. If he doesn't do it, God, that guy's gone. I mean, I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, God is not that desperate. Uh, in fact, God's greatest desire is not that you give the most money that you preach the most effective sermon or that you have the greatest testimony. Now, there's another prophet, Micah. He says this. He has told you, O mortal, O human, O man, O woman. He has told you what is good. And what does God require of you? What does God want from you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with the God, with your Lord. To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. That's what God is interested in. That's what God would like from you. God has no need for our sacrifices. He doesn't eat, right? He doesn't drink. We do these things. We, we sing and we preach and we worship and we tithe and we, we give our testimony. Not because God needs them, but because we love God. And we want to give these things. We want to praise him. 
We want to be intimate with him. And part of closeness with God means loving other people. That's what we've sort of seen through this series. Oh my goodness, there's the connection. Closeness with God means loving other people. Closeness with God means practicing hospitality. Closeness with God means loving your neighbor. Being intimate with Jesus makes you want to do those things. It's not that you have to do those things and then you'll become intimate with Jesus. Get intimate with Jesus first and allow him to work on your heart and you'll want to do those things because that's what Jesus' heart is. That's what he is interested in. First, resolve to love God in your heart. Allow God to purify you from sin. And then come near him and present your offerings to him. C.S. Lewis said something uh, really interesting, which just kind of stuck with me. He said, you know, the most talented, the greatest of us, the greatest Christians among us, you know, the, the ones who really get it, and, and they're like, man, if I could just be a Christian like that person. Those people, it's, it's like as if they're little children, and they're running out into the field, and they're picking weeds, and they're picking grasses, and they're like tearing dandelions up from the roots, and they run back in to see their mother, and they say, look, look what I brought you. Look at this. Look what I've done. I've, I've done something for you. I've brought you this beautiful bouquet. And to everyone else who looks at this, this is a child bringing weeds into your house, and they got dirt spilling on the floor, and, and what's the point of this, right? This is not pretty. But to a mother who receives that bouquet of flowers. It's priceless. It gets put into a, a, a vase. It gets put on the table. It gets shown to everyone, not because the mother thinks that this is the most gorgeous, priceless bouquet, but because the mother sees the heart of the child. All they wanted to do was please them. All they wanted to do was be with them. All they wanted to do was give them something. And they gave them what they could. As a child, they gave them what they could, and it was so sufficient. It was so wonderful. That's how God sees us. Right? God's not up there saying, I, I need this from Rhodey. I need this from you. God's up there, and when Rhodey brings her worship to God, God says, oh my goodness, that's what I want. Oh, that's beautiful. And God puts it in a vase, and God puts it on the table, and he says, see, look what my, look what my daughter brought me. Isn't this wonderful? Isn't this beautiful? God doesn't need your sacrifices. God doesn't need your offerings. He wants them. He wants them just like a mother wants to be intimate and close with their children. He wants them. He wants that intimacy. He wants that nearness with you. First, resolve to love God in your own heart, and then everything you do will be pleasing to him. Elsewhere, Paul says, with faith, you can please God, but without faith, it's impossible to please God. In fact, you could do amazing things for God, But if you were lacking that intimacy, if you were lacking that faith, if you were lacking that childlike closeness with God, there's no amount of things that you could do to please him. But once you have that, once you have that intimacy, once you seek God, once you resolve to love God, everything you do is pleasing to him. Everything you do is in honor of him. Even your mistakes, he doesn't think, oh, this is a wonderful thing this person's messing up, but he says, this is my child. And it's like if my child makes a mistake, I don't, I don't beat them because they've done wrong. I say, all right, well, let's get up. Let's try it again. I'm not going to abandon you. Come and be with me. Verse 5. Let's go on. It goes on, so let's go on. Verse 5. Then I will draw near to you, says the Lord, for judgment. I will be swift to bear witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely against those who oppress the hired workers and their wages, the orphans and the widow, against those who thrust aside the alien and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. God is the judge of humanity. 
God is the judge of community. He will judge those who do wrong. Ultimately, God says, these people don't fear me. They don't fear me. They have no fear of God, so they do what is right only in their own eyes. Those who wish to do what is right in their own eyes cannot please God because the presence of God brings conviction to our hearts. And I wonder if there's something in your life, in your heart, in your, in your walk with God, that as you grow nearer to God, as you come close to him, is there something that God is kind of poking at a little bit? That the presence of God kind of pokes at a little bit and says, have you thought about this? Have you considered this? Because when God comes to us, he brings conviction. And like I said, it's not conviction so that he can hurt us or he can damage us or he can force us to do something. It's conviction because he wants to purify. He wants to be close to you. He wants to be near to your heart. So is there something in your life, I wonder, like there has been this week in my life, something that God has has kind of just been poking a little bit and said, have you thought about this? Have you considered this? There's a part of your life that needs to be touched by God that he's bringing conviction to. Scripture is a very basic formula for what to do when we feel the conviction of God. It's a pretty easy formula, also very difficult. This is what it says. It says this in James 5. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. You know, in the Catholic Church, they've done that. They've kept that up. In the Protestant Church, we've sort of moved away from the whole idea of confessing our sins to one another. It's sort of like my business with God is my business with God. I don't have to let you in on my business with God. Um, But here in James 5, it does say, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. It's hard to get away from that. So... There you go. CR does it. So what do you do? How do you do that? Well, I want to encourage you. And we're going to be moving into the fall. Uh, We're going to be hopefully getting into some small groups. By the way, if God moves in your heart to be a small group coordinator, please come and talk to me because we need somebody to coordinate small groups. That's just an FYI. But we're going to hopefully move to some small groups. We'll hopefully get some groups together. You need to find people around you, a community around you, a neighbor, a brother or sister in Christ who's near to you that you can be in accountable with, that you can be in a relationship with, so that you can confess your sins, and that person can confess their sins, and you can pray for one another. And that's a hard thing. It's hard to find that, and, and it's scary at times because, wow, I don't want my dirty laundry to be aired out in front of everybody else. So I would just say this, choose wisely. Your close, close friends, choose wisely, but operate in grace. Know that they are a sinful person just as you are a sinful person. You both have a need for each other, right? So when God brings conviction to your heart, when God brings conviction to your heart, you can go to this person and say, look, I need to talk about this. I need to talk about what God is talking to me about, and I need you to pray with me. So that's Scripture's formula. We confess, we pray, and God is faithful to forgive us. God is always faithful to forgive us. He does not withhold his mercy from us. Why? Because he is interested in being near to you. So why would he withhold his mercy? If you come before God and say, Lord, would you forgive me? Have mercy on me. God never says, nah, this time no. He desires to be intimate with you. He desires to be close to you. He has mercy abundant for you. Let's go to verse 6 and we'll close out. It says, for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, have not perished. There you go, thank you. I, the Lord, have not, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, have not perished. Our lives are up and down. Our lives are like this. We fluctuate from sin to righteousness, 
from a feeling of closeness with God to a feeling of distance with God. Like Malachi's listeners, we think about old times when we, man, remember that time when we were close to God um, and how desirous we are being in that close time with him. We're like waves of the ocean. Right? Scripture says we're kind of like dust, kind of blown around. But I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, have not perished. God never changes. In fact, we have it on the wall there, isn't we? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Yeah. God is the rock, the solid rock of all of humanity, of all of reality. God is the ground of all being. And we, we might fluctuate. We might feel close and intimate at times and distant at other times. But I want to tell you a, a little secret, and that is the times when you feel the most distant from God. If you, had, if you had the opportunity, sometimes our own hearts stop us. Sometimes our own minds stop us. We're thinking about so many things. Sometimes uh, we, we feel like ah, God is so far away from me. But if you had the ability to see God, you would notice that in those times you feel so distant from him. He's right there. He never changes. The psalmist says, even if I make my bed under the water at the bottom of the depths of the ocean, I would find you there with me. Even if I died, if, even if I went down to Sheol where the place of the dead is, even if I, I, I was dead and buried underground, still I wouldn't be able to escape your presence. From the highest mountain to the deepest ocean, there's no way for you to escape the presence of God. God does not change. He never runs away from you. Yeah. Therefore, you, church, you, person, you, Christian, you have not perished because God has maintained you from the beginning to the end. So when we come before God, and we're going to come before him in prayer here for just a minute, when we come before God with our conviction, with the things that we feel like um, he's working on us, he's doing something in us, and we need to change, when we come before God with those things, know two things. First of all, know that you are a child of God and that God has mercy abundant for you. And second of all, know that there's no thing that you can do. There's no distance you can run. There's no a lack of intimacy that can be created in your life that would, that would uh, inhibit God's closeness with you, God's nearness with you. We may not feel close to him, but he is near to us. So I'm going to pray, it, and, and would you just pray with me? Would you just uh, have in your mind those areas of our life that we feel convicted about? I'm, I'm thinking of my own life and the areas of my life that I feel a conviction of God, and would you hold that in your mind for a moment? And we're going to come before God, and we're just going to say, Lord, Lord, there's, there's things in my life which are holding back intimacy with you. Things in my heart which are pushing you out. And as a group, as a congregation, as a church, as a body of Christ here, we lift those things up to you, Jesus. God, I lift up uh, all of the struggles that we have, our shared struggles to you. And we ask that you would have mercy on us and heal us. Lord, would you have mercy on our minds? Give us rest, God. The times when we've run away from you, Lord the mistakes that we've made. Have mercy on us, Lord. And right now, Jesus, I pray that your presence, that your nearness, God, you are desire, you desire to be close to us. So, Lord, let your spirit fall on these people. Let it fall, Lord. 
Let your spirit fall and fill and be intimate with and be close to. God, as we have confessed our sins to you, as we have asked for mercy, we know that you are just and that you forgive. And Lord, I ask that as we are, our hearts become more open to you, that you would come in, that you would send your spirit to fill our hearts, to fill our lives. Lord, let us encounter again the presence of the living God. Let it flow from our lives into the world around us. Because we also, God, we declare today that we also desire to be close to you. Jesus, all we want is to be close to you. And so, Lord, would you come? Come, O oh Lord. Come, Holy Spirit, and work within us, Lord. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Lord.